Poland. Uh, things that come to mind. Not a whole lot. No. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. <laughs> Pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Polcast, Pole and all that jazz. Hello, I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. You're listening to the 26th episode of Polcast. In this episode, we'll tell you why it was Poles and not other nations that built Hollywood, how we need to be careful and beware of linguistic traps and about making a documentary about one of the most well-known Poles. Remember Ivona Malinowski's School of Polish for Adults in the area of Toronto? Here is another story I heard from her students. Hello, um, my name is Brenda and Paul School Bernarda. And um, I, I was actually born in Poland, in, in Volkov, southern Poland there. And again, we're, uh, we're a farming family back home and um, came to Canada when I was very young. And then um, uh, we just ended up again at school. I think Canada didn't celebrate um, different languages when I was young growing up. So it was just English that we were learning and um, it was... My sisters and I always spoke English, and you know, Mom and Tata spoke Polish to us, but we answered in English and lost sort of. Under, I understand the language, but lost the ability to speak. And now I, I know a lot of words in Polish, but I'm in school learning to how to put them together correctly. But well, why is it important to you? I don't know. You just as you get older, it's it's just something. It was almost like a disconnect in my you know life it, it seems like I'm just kind of rediscovering who I am in a way and I am interested in Poland the history and um, things and I find that the language helps to connect it, it, it just sort of I, I learn more by learning the language about the country and I find it very interesting so that's also kind of a reconnection. Yeah, and I hopefully I'm going to... I have two daughters. My husband's English, so he doesn't speak Polish at all or doesn't understand it. Mm-hmm. But uh, for myself, and I want to... My two daughters, I'm, I'm going to try and use more words with them yeah. to just sure. try to get them interested in another language. <laughs> This Sunday, Canadian audiences will be able to see an award-winning documentary, Liberating a Continent, John Paul II and the Fall of Communism. An in-depth analysis of John Paul II's spiritual and moral revolution, which led to the fall of communism in 1989. I'm talking to the director of the film, David Nalieri, an Emmy-nominated documentary film writer and producer, who has made a number of documentary films about popes and the church. 
There are many films that were made about John Paul II. Um, in what way is your film different from them? Well, I think we wanted our film to speak to a generation that perhaps did not know John Paul II, because suddenly more than a decade has passed since John Paul passed away. And there's a generation that's graduating college, that's entering into the workforce, um, that didn't see John Paul II the way perhaps we did in terms of the World Youth Days, all his papal voyages, being on the nightly news, um, the tremendous impact he had. Um, they just kind of grew up not, not witnessing that. And now, you know, 30 years or so passing since uh, the fall of communism, we wanted to make a film that future generations can look back and say an incredible event occurred in 1979 when John Paul II traveled to Poland, and then an a whole series of events occurred in the 1980s, and really there was a spiritual power that John Paul II brought to Central and Eastern Europe, which culminated in the fall of communism. So we did not want to get that incredible story uh, lost in the static of history. And uh, we wanted to also make it broader. So to go to your question as to, you know, why is our film different? I think what sets us our, our film apart is we wanted to talk not just about Poland, but about some of the other countries. So we profile in our film what happened in the former Czechoslovakia, in Ukraine, in Lithuania, and how the spiritual forces John Paul unleashes when he travels to Poland in 1979 didn't just impact Poland and give birth to the rise of the Solidarity Movement. But it also impacted these other countries in very dramatic ways. And his impact uh, is quite incredible. And it's something that we wanted to, to have a role in solidifying his legacy. So, so that's what kind of drove us to make the film. And I think what, in a certain sense, uh, sets, sets it apart. To, to what extent do you think that John Paul II was the product of his times? And to, to what extent do you think he was the one who actually shaped them? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And and. and, and Working and writing and directing the film, it, it really felt as though it was a Tolstoy or Dostoevsky kind of novel when you look at the life of John Paul II, because his biography in many ways mirrors the, the great sufferings and challenges of, of Poland. Um, so we have this young, young boy whose mother dies when he's nine years old, loses his beloved older brother when he's 12, uh, his father when he's in his early 20s and becomes an orphan. He sees his nation. Um, that he grew up in, in a temporary free Poland, uh, but he sees his nation invaded by the communists and then invaded by the Nazis and, and completely decimated. 20%, they estimate, of Poland's population during World War II is killed. So he grows up in this um, incredible environment where he experiences great personal suffering, great personal loss, and also witnessing the destruction done to his country. And out of those great forces emerges this incredible um, power and faith and resolve, and also some very key convictions about the dignity of the human person, about truth, about the importance of culture, and ultimately how culture is what helped keep Polish identity alive and how that was going to play a key role in upturning, upstaging communism. So he's very much shaped by these uh, historical forces that occur in Pol 20th century Polish history and also previously because he was a student of Polish culture, Polish literature, Polish culture. And so when he comes to Poland in 1979, um, the great historian George Weigel, a papal biographer who we interview in our film and who really um, plays a huge role in our documentary, talks about how the, really the message of 1979 is you are not who they say you are. Um, you are a people with a Christian past, Christian roots, Christian identity. You're made in the image of God, and that gives you a dignity. 
And um, that core conviction of John Paul II, um, giving Poles back their history, as Weigel says, um, giving them a sense of their identity. Ultimately, if you trace back the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989, I think many historians, both secular and Catholic, those with skin in the game and those who are very impartial to religion and to religious faith and its role in world affairs, I think they will all agree that ultimately that was the, uh, the first domino in the fall of communism. It was that message of John Paul II. How long did it take you to make this film? We began with the idea in the fall of 2014. Our executive producer, Carl Anderson, traveled to Poland. He went to the new Solidarity Museum that uh, just had recently opened in, in Gdansk. He learned about how the new generation of Poles, uh, the young children, kids in school, aren't necessarily um, all up to speed or fully understanding or grasping uh, the role John Paul II played in the fall of communism. And so we had this desire to make a film that would some help cement John Paul's legacy for future generations. And so that was the fall of 2014. We traveled to Poland in, uh, in 2015 several times, and that was when we really did a lot of the produ- production, the filming, the screenwriting, began the editing process. And uh, we had our premiere in Chicago last December, and then the film has been um, airing on public TV stations across the United States since June this year. So we began uh, with the idea in the spring of 2014, and uh, from then until its premiere and then its TV broadcast. You know, it's, it was about an 18-month, two-year project. We traveled to, to Europe about four different times for a lot of the filming, and uh, it was a big project, but something we're really, really excited about and now to have an opportunity to bring it to the large Polish Catholic audience of Canada is something we're really excited about. Now, in all this work that you've done and the research, the, the, the conversations, interviews, all the work, your visits to Poland, what surprised you the most in what you learned? I think one thing that, you know, kind of also answers the question is what's different about your film is, is to a certain degree what surprised me. And, and that is um, how the fall of communism and the struggle for freedom is very much continuing, and it always continued, in the sense that John Paul II's mission did not end in 1989 with the fall of the Berlin Wall. It continued afterwards. And he goes to Poland in 1991, and he doesn't just throw up his fist and says, we won. His message is instead a call for Poles to return to the biblical values. And his pastoral visit in 1991 is all based on the Ten Commandments. And his message is that in order to have a properly functioning democracy, we need morality and we need a moral people. That's his message to Central and Eastern Europe throughout the 1990s. And and then really the story continues because in 2001 he goes to Ukraine. And when he travels to Ukraine, he speaks Ukrainian. He talks about the great Ukrainian writers and novelists. In a sense, in 2001, doing a little bit of what he tried to do in 1979, give Ukrainians back their culture, back their identity, spoke about Ukraine as being part of the spiritual unity of Europe. And so when you fast forward to the revolution of dignity in the Maidan in 2014, many of those protesters had been there in 2001, had listened to John Paul II. And there's a lot of synergy between the revolution of dignity on the Maidan, which had a lot, a really a spiritual impetus to it and a huge role played by the Greek Catholic Church, of which John Paul II was an ardent defender. Um, so I think what surprised me delving into this and going to make a movie about history was learning this is also a a film that's not just about history, it's a roadmap for the future. 
because Europe is facing grave problems and grave threats. And John Paul II's message about a return to morality, a return to an understanding of the role of Christianity in Europe's history is very much still a relevant uh, message. And uh, the mission of John Paul II in that sense continues. To get more information about the film, to see its trailer and learn about the upcoming screenings, please visit our website at mypodcast.com. You can also leave your comments and ideas there. Both Polish and English are Indo-European languages, which means they are in some way related. Also, both of them have a lot of vocabulary coming from Latin and Greek, so there are many words in both languages that sound similar and mean the same. Geografia. Geography. Skomplikowany. Complicated. Norma. Norm. And telefon. Telephone. Many, many more. But there are a number of words that sound and look very similar, but their meanings are totally different. In linguistics, we often call them false friends. So beware of them as much as you should beware of real false friends. Here are some examples. The word hazard, which sounds identical in both languages, in English means danger. But in Polish, it means gambling. The Polish word looking almost the same as English word ordinary, ordinarny, has a very different meaning. It means vulgar, crude. Or take the two words, eventually in English, and eventualnie in Polish. Their meanings are totally unrelated. The English word means finally, and the Polish possibly. Be very careful when you talk about preservatives, as the Polish word preservatywa means condom. I remember once getting a card from one of my ESL students which read in English with sympathy. The new immigrant from Poland did not know that the Polish word sympatia has a very different meaning from a similar English word sympathy. He thought it meant with friendship. We will be coming back to this topic to warn you of some other false friends. Last week, you heard Andrzej Krakowski, an award-winning film producer, screenwriter, and director born in Poland, living in the United States since 1968, a professor of film directing, screenwriting, and production at the City College of New York. Recently, his passion has been digging into the history of the film and media industry, and the product of his research is two books on Hollywood, how Poles created Hollywood. He discovered through his extensive research that the whole industry was created by Poles of Jewish extraction who immigrated to America. My interview with Andrzej Krakowski ended with the question, what is the reason that those immigrants from Poland, Poles with Jewish roots, played such an incredible role in the media industry? Today, you will hear the answers. Do you have any explanation for this? Well, that's what fascinated me, you know, because we're going back to the period in American history, which is called the, the period of the Great Emigration, 1880-1920. In that 40 years period, 
23 million immigrants come today come to, you know, to the United States. Why Poles? Why this small group? Why not Swedes? Why not French? Why not Germans? Why not Italians? Why not Irish? But this little group of people born 200 kilometers, 300 kilometers from each other. Isn't that because Poland was erased from the map? Poland didn't exist, so they would leave, right? No? Well, but other people were also leaving. Now we go into the why were they leaving? Who was leaving Europe at that time? Most of the people, the Irish, they had famine. Most of the people departing for the U.S. were people who were illiterate because if they had proper education, they would not have to leave. They would find an employment in their in their country. So those people always had a right of return. So the, you know, so so if Irish family moved to the United States, they couldn't make it in the United States. They always could have gone back to, to Ireland and they were welcome there. In our part of the world, most of the people who were leaving who were, were Jews. And most of them were from the Russian, from the, the, the area that was under the Russian rule and who were subject to draconian rules. If you were a Russian or Polish born, for example, you only were conscripted to Russian army for four years. But if you were a Jew, it was 25 years. You know, so all those draconian rules all of a sudden became like an incubator for creativity. We have three of the four Warner brothers were born in Krasnoshevs. Each of them had a different last name. One was Vonsal, one was Von Skolasser, and one was Vonsker. Why? Because of those crazy rules. Because... As a Jew, they were they were subject to 25-year conscription unless they were firstborn, because then the firstborn was hel- helping the family to you know to, to, to survive. So if even a Jewish family you had four sons, each would be registered at a different name, each was at that point firstborn, and they didn't have to go to the army. Would that happen, let's say, in Ireland or England? No, because there was a tradition of the names. So, you know, you talk to a Mr. O'Grady and he will tell you, oh, I'm the 63rd O'Grady. Well, Jews didn't have last name to start with. I mean, what was the last name of Jesus? Nothing. It was a Jesus from Nazareth. The beginning, the, the genesis of Jewish names, it's really very young. It started under the Tsar Nikolai, I think the, the first, when he did the population census in, in Russia. And his clerks... His administrators started to raise hell because in Russia you have a you know you have a three pronged name you have a first name patronym and the last name and with the Jews they only had the first name so the Tsar says give them names you know so they got names and some of them two months later were leaving the country the name didn't have nothing to them it was something that was was forced upon them. You know, so there was no attachment to it. Okay, so they were they kept changing names. That's that's the beginning of creativity. More than that, when they arrived to the to the United States, you know, who was their competitor? People who couldn't re- read, couldn't write. Well, guess what? There is no illiterate Jews because by the time the the boy is thirteen years old and has a bar mitzvah, he has to learn how to read and write. You know, so if you look at it, there was a social, economic, and historical conditions that kind of trained them into creative thinking, into have a better vision. They all had a vision, and if you look at it, they all have the same trait. Everybody looks at the same thing, and some do see opportunities, and some don't. I keep telling you that these books. If you read those 21 characters in those first two books, this is like a textbook of entrepreneurship. 
kids should learn how to be open-minded, how to see you know, opportunities when nobody else notices it. Are you a Pole? I am a Pole. Everybody who was born in Poland is a Pole. And what is, what is, what is their persuasion or what is their, their religious beliefs or, has nothing to do with your nationality. Okay, so, so a lot of people would say, and I, I would probably imagine some Jewish people saying, oh, this is not really about Poles, this is about Jews. I, I hear it all the time, whether, whether we go in Poland for the, for the book signing or in New York. Everybody raises the same question. But look, this is, this is an artificial division which exists only in Poland. As a matter of fact, this is the root cause of many, many, many conflicts. By international law, everybody born in Poland is a Pole. You can be, you can be black, you can be white, you can be yellow, you can have uh, slanted eyes or blue eyes or green eyes, you can have a, be a redhead, you can be of uh, your religion, you could be a, a, a Catholic, you can be a Protestant, you can be a Muslim, you can be, you, your religion could be Judaism, you're all Poles. And I don't like those divisions, because most of the time when people start dividing, they're doing for negative reasons. I'm Jewish, therefore I'm better than you are, okay? Or I'm Polish, I'm definitely better than Jew. And the results of it, we just saw not that long ago, 70, 80 years ago, during the Holocaust, what it means to dehumanize somebody only because of the labels. The reason for why I'm, trying, I'm writing this is I want to get rid of it. Because the moment we will st- we'll stop dividing, we will find a common language. So if, if anybody asks you who you are, you're an American of Polish origin who has Jewish roots, how does this work? <laughs> I am everything that you said. I, I did a film called uh, Farewell to My Country. And, there, and the film ends with, with Bronek Drozdowicz, unfortunately he, he passed away, saying who he was. Okay, so who am I, he says. From 1946 until 1968, I was a Pole. From 1968, I, I was a Pole of Jewish extraction. From 1968, he emigrated to uh, Brazil. He was a Brazilian immigrant with a passport that said that uh, origins are known. Uh, then he came to the United States, so he became American resident from Brazil. And then he said that he became an American citizen who likes polka and horror and samba. You know, so who am I? I'm American Jew. Look, I have the same problem. You know, you ask me a question, I have the same problem when people ask me what I do. When they ask me if I'm a, fil- when I'm a screenwriter, no, I'm a film director. When they ask me if I'm a film director, no, I'm a screenwriter. When they ask me if I am, maybe I'm a writer-director, I say, no, I'm a producer. When they ask me if I am a, 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 a filmmaker, I say, no, I'm a cartoonist, because I had a career as a cartoonist as well. I don't like to be to be defined in such a confining way. Okay, I am everything. I'm a humanist. I don't care, you know, for me, whether, whether, whether a child in Poland goes hungry or a child in Africa, I will cry for them. The entire world is going towards through the process of diversification and, and ethnic diversification. There's no monolith countries except Poland. To hear two very interesting stories of Poles becoming big names in Hollywood, please visit our website at mypolcast.com.
In the last episode, we played this sound, wondering if you can guess what it is and where in Poland you can hear it. What you've just heard is Stolat, 100 years, a traditional Polish song that is sung to wish good health and long life to a person. It is a way of wishing someone a happy birthday in Polish. The Polish version of happy birthday. It can be a problem when you celebrate the birthday of someone who is in their late 90s. It's as if you only wish them a year or two more years to live. And what do you do with those who are over 100? Clearly, English is a lot less problematic with its age-neutral happy birthday. Often those singing Stolat at the birthday party would follow it with one or more other popular happy birthday songs. It is fun because the birthday person is just about to blow out the candles on the cake when a new song is started, and then the next one, and often one more. But the Polish Stolat is more universal than its English equivalent, as it is not only sung on birthdays. It can be heard at all kinds of anniversaries and sport events to express best wishes. It's time for our next sound from Poland. Here it is. Listen, think, guess. Where do you need to be in Poland in order to hear this sound? And what is it? You've been listening to the 26th episode of Polcast. Polcast is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by... Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kniat. For full-length interviews, visuals and a lot of additional information, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. We are always curious about your reactions, comments and suggestions. Also ideas for the news stories. Please share them with us on our website, mypolcast.com. And we leave you with a song that John Paul II loved so much that it was always sung for him. Barca, a boat. It's originally a South American song in Spanish. Señor, me has mirado a los ojos, sonriendo, has dicho mi nombre en la arena. He dejado mi barca junto a ti, buscaré otro mar. Tú has venido a la orilla, no ha 
has buscado ni a sabios ni a ricos tan solo quieres que yo te siga Señor me has mirado a los ojos sonriendo has dicho mi bien lo que tengo en mi barca no hay oro ni espadas tan solo redes y mi trabajo Señor me has mirado a los ojos Jesús toma mis manos, mi cansancio, que a otros descanse, amor que quiera seguir amando, Señor, me has mirado a los de otros lagos ansia eterna de almas que esperan amigo bueno que así me llamas Señor me has mirado a los ojos
junto a ti, Señor, junto a ti, buscaré otro más, junto a ti, buscaré otro más. 